0: You are not all woman. You are not the woman. You are a woman and more, right? And so there's nothing that is like, oh yeah, this, this woman is gonna be the litmus test for all of the women because that's complete nonsense.
1: Welcome to Little Revolutions, brought to you by Frida. This is a series of conversations about the double standards, societal problems, and systemic injustices that feel bigger than any one of us. Every week, we talk to someone who's questioning the norms and rewriting the script. They're activists and politicians, artists and athletes, and many, many more. Each one of our guests talks us through relatable little revolutions they're making in their own lives and the ways in which we can all be changemakers, whoever we are. On today's episode, we speak to Dr. Anne-Marie Imafodon. She's a computer scientist and the CEO of STEMETS, an organization that advocates for women in STEM careers. In this hopeful conversation, we talk to her about how to find and believe in your own power when you don't see examples of successful people who look like you. Thank you so much for joining us. How's your day going? It's going okay. It's going all right. So to get us started, we don't like to define people. So I'm going to let you define yourself however you want and introduce yourself however you want. Thank you.
0: My name is Anne-Marie. I am CEO of Stemets, author of She's in Control
1: and all-round women in tech. Great. Thank you for joining us. So one of the reasons we wanted to have you here and to have this conversation with you was about what so much of your work is focused on with girls and women in tech. And as I was thinking about how to start the conversation, I saw something you said in an interview and it like stopped me in my tracks where it starts so, so young in school where the idea of like, we hear it everywhere, like I'm bad at maths or I'm bad at science, but people would never say that about like, I, I don't, you know, I don't do writing or I don't do reading. Like that's just a, a baseline skill that's expected in society. Whereas with with maths and science, with tech, it feels like this far away thing very often culturally and I'm wondering about for you when when you decided to to pursue this path was that something that you saw people around you doing and so it didn't feel like something you had to like question in your mind of like am I good at this is this a space for me are there questions here was it just you knew this was where your passion was this is what you enjoyed where your curiosity led you like how what was your beginning like
0: um so for me in my beginning it wasn't a I want to do the STEM. It wasn't even that necessarily. It was more curiosity. It was, there's a dishwasher, there's a washing machine here. And if I was going to wash clothes, I would do this, but my washing machine doesn't do that. But it was also, there's a VCR, there are these black VCR cassette tapes that we put into the VCR player and it always knows to play Timon and Boomba and they're not on the sticker. How does it know? And so for me, my journey into tech and to maths and to all of the STEM-y things were, how does that work? And now that I know that, how, how that works, how can I solve problems, right? How can I help people with this knowledge? Because if that works again and again for them, uh, or if it works again and again for me, then it can work again and again for them. So that was my journey in. I had no concept of who else was in this space. I had no sense of, you know, the whole I don't do maths or, you know, any of that kind of, that wasn't necessarily what I was exposed to. My thing was just, oh my goodness, how does this work and why does that work?
1: I've I've heard the the Lion King story before, and I love it so much because I think, like for me, the other side of that as a more on the art side person, it was like a how do I make that right? Like how do you take the idea in your brain and make that? And you were like, how do I take this apart and, and make the VCR? But we were both curious about making, which yep. is not not the connection that very often in conversation culturally happens around tech, where it is so incredibly creative, but that's generally not how it's framed.
0: Yeah. And, and this is why, you know, getting involved, I'm actually a judge for the Alexa Young Innovator Challenge. And it's why I get involved in things like this, because it's it's it, miss, it goes missing so much from our conversations about technology, right? We talk about harder, faster, bigger, stronger. And we don't talk about create. Like, imagine you could talk to a device and it could talk back to you. <laughs> what would you get it to say? Like, what are you going to make? And I think that's the thing that goes missing too often. And folks do end up concentrating on the, I don't get maths or my maths lessons were like this. So it's like, okay, cool. Let's think beyond maths lessons, right? What were your music lessons like? You still listen to music. So what are we gonna do here with the technology to talk to this inanimate object? Um, and so, yeah, that's a big thing for me.
1: And tech is everywhere, right? It's not just that it. it it's like, at least we're, we're the same age. And I think about like, for me growing up, it was like a tech was a thing that was like its own thing, right, and the arts are separate and like medicine is separate or law, law is separate. Like they're all separate things, but we're talking through a phone right now and most of us have like a washing machine somewhere in our lives or a <laughs> TV or a laptop or something. There's like tech everywhere. You put the light switch on. That's technology too, in some sense. And it's generally, it's, it's seen as this like faraway away thing. Um, was it something where for you, the, the following that curiosity was it something that was encouraged in your family or you saw people around you doing where it was like, Oh, let me take apart the VCR because I see so-and-so in my life taking apart a question or a problem and trying to figure out how it works? Or was it just an innate curiosity?
0: Well, I think it's a curiosity that everyone has. I just wasn't, I wasn't in trouble for exploring all of that curiosity. Like, you know, I I do, I almost always, every time I tell that story, say I'm really thankful my dad didn't kill me when I did that, because putting it back together, again, was not as easy as I thought it was going to be. It was not as easy as taking it apart. But I think all of us have that curiosity and it ends up being, drawn out of us, coached out of us. You know, you end up, you, you know, whether it's whether it's experiences at school, whether it's things that you see in media, whatever it might be, it ends up being like, no, we're, you're almost punished sometimes for asking um, questions or for exploring or for taking things apart. And so then you don't, you, you're not rewarded, right? For exploring that curiosity. So I think a lot, I think all of us have that curiosity in us. We just almost have to rediscover it. And you're right, technology is everywhere. Like whether you're our age, whether you're older than us, whether you're younger than us, there is a form of technology that was a thing is a thing is relating to your life now the technology is only increasing it's not reducing and it's not going anywhere so it is also one of those things where it's like look whatever you're curious about or whatever you know you enjoy how does that overlap with technology if you if you if you fish i don't know like what fish tech is almost definitely a thing what's that like or if you have a pet like pet tech is definitely a thing. So what does that look like? Or if you like eating, food tech is 100% something. So what does that look like? And so I think it is about seeing all those different areas of overlap and then saying, actually, it isn't just about me being at the mercy of tech or me using the tech, but it is about what can I create to solve my problems? Or what can I create to reflect on what I've seen? And like you said, like you know, at STEMets, we don't just talk about STEM, we talk about STEAM, which is the science, technology, engineering, arts, design, and maths, because that is where it's at. That's where you see innovation. That's where things happen. And it is really frustrating, actually, that people are taught and are shown by the system that it's STEM over there, arts over there, never mix the two like oil and water. Whereas actually, no, like you you want to explore the two sides. You have to engage with them. You know, there's the fun, the fun stat that you're, much more likely to win a Nobel Prize in the sciences if you've engaged with the arts as part of your upbringing. And it's something that people kind of, you think that, oh, to be the science or the technologist like you just did technology your whole life, the whole time, that's all you did. It's just like, no, you need those different things. You need a cross-disciplinary approach to do things well, to do things innovatively, to do things properly. And so I think it's really important as well for folks to lean into those two sides.
1: Was that your experience as well? Where did you have some sort of foundation or experience with arts um, growing up, as well as the curiosity that led you to take the VCR apart?
0: So I definitely had explorations within art and music. um, And I definitely, I think for me, I definitely always saw technology as creative. So it was definitely something I had from the beginning. I mean, there, there was taking things apart, but then there was also, now that I've taken it apart, what can I make because I know how that thing works? And so I think for me, that was definitely the the journey that I have. Like, I've always seen it as creative where I know not everybody has or does.
1: And this is going to sound like maybe a like a weirdly practical question. But if someone is listening to this and they are a young person or they know a young person who loves to take things apart, or maybe they're an older person who loves to take things apart and is like, oh, wait, I see myself in Anne-Marie. Like, that is me. What, what were you making, right? Like, what was the next step for you? You took apart the VCR and then what did you do? Was it like a, I want to make another VCR, let me procure all the parts? What, what, was, what was that journey?
0: Well, the journey, it was, so the VCR was one of many things that I took apart. I think it's the one that folks kind of, Ages me in some way, but it's the one that folks maybe might um, as- like uh, <laughs> might associate with. I think there are lots of different things I was taking apart, but it was more, it was a little bit like pen doctor. Like I don't know if, if that was something you, I also went through that phase where you take pens apart. And you'd see like the spring or like the bit that's actually in the middle, right? Because it's just the plastic outside that makes it easier to hold. And then it'd be like, okay, cool. Can I put that in something else? Or what if I put a bigger spring? Or what if we put a smaller spring? Or what if I fix it back a different way? So there was a lot of that. It was kind of just tinkering, I think, more than anything else. I had a database phase. I mean, I still love putting together a good data structure (laughs) these days. (laughs) Which I, I don't know how many other people maybe we're we're going away from the things that, that are very relatable. Um but also web pages. I think there's all manner of things. That's the that's the beauty of technology, is you know, someone made an Alexa, for example, right? They were like, I want to make something that allows you to talk to something and it's gonna understand. And I think that's the thing, is there's the bounds are the time that you have and the knowledge that you have, and and sometimes, not all, not always, but sometimes the resources that you have. But actually, there's a lot of things you can be like, what if. Little Red Riding Hood had a purple hood. You know, like what would the difference, is there any difference? Could we have a difference in that story? And so I think that was mine. It was like what we'd now call remixing, I think, was was my kind of my first foray. And then you start to code, you start to build, you start to create. Um, mm. So, yeah, that, that's that been my journey the whole time. Making. So you, like, this is it. You have maker spaces now for this as I was just winding my parents up at home.
1: I mean as you're describing it, you're you're making it sound so much like art, right? Like you were doing collage art basically with like the world. Basically? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. it feels like so so relatable compared to we were talking before this interview, um, the team and I about like the, the reputation culturally of like people in tech, right? And it at least in most of my lifetime, I don't think it's changed. Where the like cultural stereotype is, it'll be a white man, young white man, um, who has a black screen in front of him in with green text on it. It's always on green text, yeah. And the thing he's doing is like so incomprehensible to everyone around him that like he's this genius, this boy genius, which is great, but like it's also so incomprehensible, and that it that can be a really hard thing for people who don't look like that young white man with a green wall of text in front of him um to to say i like to tinker i'm curious i like to put things together and then to make that next leap and say actually the place where i think i i want to explore this curiosity is tech
0: i think this is definitely something i see quite a lot of and it quite frustrates me like in my work at stamets even being a part of this alexa young innovator challenge i think it's quite frustrating that the folks that we see as successful in tech like the stories we get told again and again and again through the generations through history are all missing so much history and so much color right of who did all of these things before we got here and so yeah like it is a person in the hoodie with the cat drinking coffee with the black screen and the green and all of that because that was the story we were told again and again and again it's lone geniuses you know they've all dropped out of the same kind of university or they all played games when they were younger or they sat in a bathtub one time and that was it or you know the apple fell on their head and everything just came to them in that moment and it's like no it's incredibly collaborative process there are a lot of mistakes that happen and there are also lots of people who weren't male who didn't weren't male white and with beards and dead who contributed to what's going on and whether it's the story of Hedy Lamarr who was a Hollywood actress who was the The reason we have Betty Boop, right, that's modeled on her, who is also the reason we have Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Nobody knows that. Nobody tells this story, right? Or whether it's even someone who, uh, called Stephanie uh, Stephanie, um, Krolek, who was in the lab and was tinkering again in the lab. She was a chemist. She worked with the waste materials from some reactions that they were doing and ended up discovering a smart material called Kevlar, which is what makes Bulletproof vests Bulletproof. And people think, oh, you know, failures or waste, like, no, throw it away because it's imperfect. It's like, no, no, no. That imperfect waste material has saved thousands of lives because of a discovery that a woman made, right, way back when. And so I think it's it's important to tell these stories and to share and to have these, you know, people visible role models, so where it's like, yeah, you can have great grey hair and wear fantastic necklaces and also be part of that tech world, right? You can have a dance background and also be someone who who's actually in my book called Ghislaine Boddington. Who was a, tra- a trained dancer she is a trained dancer she's still alive she's still here she's still working she wanted to be able to dance with people in another location at the same time back in the 80s and so it ended up doing this before we even the web was even you know a thing that people were using like that and now she's an expert in hybrid realities and her company is called body data space and what she's doing is come from dance it hasn't come from the technology but she's a huge woman in tech right there's really like making these things happen and before we were even in the pandemic and the lockdown she was doing virtual reality you know and hybrid spaces and metaverse like that was where she was already because of dance so i think it is really important for everyone to be able to see what their connection is and for us to have a broad view of what success in tech and what success around tech could look like
1: I'm curious because you just said a really beautiful, you said a lot of really beautiful things. And you said one thing about it's important for everyone to be able to see what their connection is and to see a diversity of potential of like, the, I could be this person, right? Like we can't be what we can't see and all of that. And I'm curious what that looked like for you, where who did you look at and say, Oh, there is there's space for me here or my curiosity is valid here. Or this is like the place where I can take my good ideas because I see someone else. Like me here. So I think what's fun about
0: that is not everybody needs that. And I, and I think it's the, it's the reason why I do what I do. So STEMETS turns 10 this year. And it's the reason why I started 10 years ago. Cause it was like, look, I'm a woman in tech. I didn't need STEMETS, but that doesn't mean that everyone should be like me that then ends up in technology because it, that shouldn't be a prerequisite that you don't need to see it to be it. And so therefore... You know, those are the only people that we need in this space. You know, very not perceptive, me. I didn't realise I was the only girl in a lot of spaces because I was so into the, oh my goodness, we took that apart, we made that, wow. And never looked around and was like, oh, okay, there's literally nobody here that looks like me. You shouldn't have to be like Anne-Marie who literally had to end up at a massive conference of women in tech to be like, oh my goodness, I'm a woman in tech. (laughs) Whereas for me, when I was younger, the person actually I looked up to was Tim Berners-Lee, who is the guy that kind of led the team that, that developed the web. And I was like, you know what? He's British. I'm British. We went through the same system. He's made something that's impacted the world. I could make something that impacts the world. And that was that was kind of all I needed. Whereas now that I'm older, now that I run Stamets, now that I've got to meet and see some of the herstory, there are Gladys West, there's Stephanie Shirley. Like there's so many people someone like Stephanie Shirley you know I I got really annoyed the day I learned about who she was she was she's a tech entrepreneur she started her business in the 1960s I wasn't there in the 1960s anyone anyone talks to me about anything anyone's ever said to me about 1960s is Twiggy and miniskirts and I'm like okay that's great for Twiggy and miniskirts but Stephanie Shirley built a whole tech business of women at home like they were working from home in the 1960s writing things like the flight receiver for Concord and all of that good stock control systems, like really serious stuff from their kitchen tables at a time when you couldn't even open a bank account without your husband or your father's permission. And she was building this like empire, this tech empire that was rewarding all the women as they went because they were also shareholders in what was going on. And you hear things like that and you're like, wow, like if I knew that, (laughs) what more could I have done? What more should I be doing? Because I don't need a husband or my father to open a bank account and you know what have I built so I think it's really important to tell those stories and not everyone needs to see all of those stories but that shouldn't be the prerequisite you shouldn't be the kind of person that is just in the numbers and just focuses only on the numbers and is like you know fully enamored with that and that's it you need other folks who I don't know see other things in the world every now and then see other patterns and realizations and realities
1: it also like so much of this comes back to what you're saying or just like this, the stories you're bringing up of all the, the women who have not been included in like cultural, like canon of like people in tech who are changing, changing things who have made big contributions. Mm-hmm. And so much of that comes back to what you were saying earlier about it being problem solving, right. And seeing like, a, like the dancer who said, I want to create this and a big part of diversity in any industry, but in tech, I, I imagine is also, we get, we get people who are experiencing different problems than addressing those different problems with what they create. But if you're the only one or one of the only ones in the room, it can be very hard to get buy-in or even to get people to see to to like one I like I'm thinking of myself where I kind of work in tech, I don't work in tech. We all work in tech. I don't even know. But for me as like the only one in the room sometimes, um, or very often in my life, I was like, oh well, Like me, the youngest person here, maybe what I I think is important actually isn't because everyone else is saying something else. And like, oh, maybe I need to like, look at what they're saying because they're all saying it and I'm the only one who's saying this. And when you talk to all the people part of Stamets and when you mentor younger people and when you think back to your younger self even, I'm curious about like, how do you get past that, right? Like we need, we're up against the fact that there's so few women in tech and there's so few people who look like, the the young woman or non-binary person who's like I want to do this I want to fix this thing but all the like white men around me are are saying that isn't a problem or that's not interesting or whatever it is yeah it's a
0: great question and it's something that it's not just our young people that come up against that you know like you're saying people in industry like all kinds of folks feel that they don't belong in particular spaces Um, and I cover this quite a lot in my book actually that you know that's almost how the system's built right that's almost how it's what it's predicated like that it's working right if you feel like that in those spaces however the system doesn't work because we end up building technology that creates more problems than it solves and that's not really the point of what we're trying to do and so i think it is important to make sure that you have the right networks you have the right community you right have the right groups around you and that's why we're so fortunate these days to have so many groups you know stemets is just for under 25s if you go over 25 so people who can Travel as they wish and maybe, you know, drink adult juice every now and then. Like there's even more things that you can you can attend, tap into, learn from, connect with, share experiences with, commiserate with, celebrate with. And so having that right community is really, really important. I think the other thing is to remember that, you know, if there's something about being the only. Like there is something about being the only person. If you're, if you're in that room and you're saying something different, there's a lot of value in the fact that you have a different perspective and something they're not gonna see. And so it, it's for you to consider and remember that there's a lot of value and there's a lot of things that you will have experienced that others won't have experienced that does need to be built into that technology, but also to remember that that's not the only room that you need to be in. And so actually remember, you know, that you can go to other places where they will value you and where they will celebrate you rather than just being tolerated. And in technology, the breadth of the of the industry means that there is always another space, there is always another room. But I think you have to remember, like, You know, something like periods, I end up talking about periods all the time. I love talking about periods and the menopause in front of these rooms of tech people who like are are first shocked that I could even say that. Look at this woman on stage talking about periods and menopause. And then I'm like, look, every couple of years, the tech industry discovers the period for the very first time. Right, and we're all supposed to be thankful that they've discovered the period, right? And they figured all these things out that other people didn't know, and then they've built this tech solution that only tracks ten days of it. And it's like, hang on a second, you're a large tech company operating in the health space. You have built a period tracker that tracks ten days of the period that you just discovered, right? So, so you, you have not a single person that's ever met anybody that's ever had a period in your team right, which is terrible, or I don't know which is, which is worse, you do have people that have met people that have periods. You might even have someone that might've had a period once in your team and nothing that they said on periods, specifically in this example, in this company, in this product, nothing they said on periods was valuable enough for you to ensure that you built a feature that wasn't useless, right? And I think that's what we have to remember is just because they're not valuing it and valuing you there doesn't mean it's not a value, and sometimes it will be really clear and really obvious. And other times, unfortunately, not all of us work in period tech. And so it will be something a little bit further from what we see as very obvious. And you have to then weigh up and say, okay, cool. Who do I have as allies? Who do I have as friends? Who is promoting me? Who is looking out for me? Who is my mentor? Who is my sponsor in this organization? Who do I have externally? And how do I get myself into a place where they're going to listen to me and they're going to value because I, it's a period, like I'm not even in control of it. Like, there's a hundred things I could tell you about a period. That's without us even talking about the menopause on top of that, right? And so there's all these things. I have another friend actually that I wrote about in the book who worked at a company and it's a fashion, it's a fashion site and they're selling bras. And obviously no one in the team wears a bra other than her. And so they, small, medium, large, sell the bras. Until today on this website, <laughs> you buy bras, <laughs> buy small, medium, large. Because they have, they have clearly had an argument about the fact that it's numbers followed by letters. And you should be able to filter and search on that. And okay, cool. So no one's buying bras now from the website. Who's losing out? Because I'll tell you what, my friend, she still has her bras to wear every day as she needs to and goes about her life.
1: And I, I love that story. That is of like all the ridiculous stories. I feel like that's just, it says so much. <laughs> um, and I also like I had written down what you said about being in spaces where you're celebrated, not just tolerated. And did you have to come to that realization with time? Like I think back to my early career and I look at friends of mine and people I know in different industries who've been, been through that journey of like, well, I'll take the job that I get, right? Like I got to pay the bills. I have to pay rent. Mm -hmm. Or I really want a foot in the door. Um, Or do like, do I need to change myself? Which the answer is no, but like Mm -hmm. it's, it's often a journey, right? Like, how do I get to the place where I'm valued and seen and supported um, yeah. from my perspective and what I bring to the table? But it's a journey, and I'm curious about what it was like for you.
0: So I have I had the privilege that I had this really you know brilliant upbringing, childhood, technical journey, and so came through almost as this child genius into most of the spaces that I came into, and so the idea of having to prove myself was not something that I that was an overarching theme or is an overarching theme in my career in that way I think there are definitely spaces where I've not been given um opportunities where I've not been you know put into that space whatever because I'm black I'm female I'm young I'm from East London some combination of the above right has has offended you know whatever is whatever his name is Dieter Wolfgang whatever Felix was was, is is the person and it's like well Felix I can't change any of those things so unfortunately you know, that that feels like a you problem rather than a me problem. But I think what I have been able to observe in others and, and the advice I am able to give is that, look, like you have to pay the bills. Yes, you have to pay the bills. But it doesn't mean you have to stay in that job or stay in that company. And so always be open to the options that you have. If you start having to prove yourself overtly in one particular place, you're going to always be trying to prove yourself. And then you won't be focusing on your work because you'll be trying to prove yourself to someone who, again, like, it doesn't. it's how you turned up. You didn't choose your age, you didn't choose your ethnicity, you didn't choose your gender. And so that's like, a, you don't do that because then you're going to change yourself for someone who, that's genuinely a them problem. So I think my thing has always been, I want to go where I'm celebrated. I don't want to work where I'm being tolerated. I'm going to work hard enough on what I'm doing. I'm going to commit, commit to it and work hard on keeping an eye on opportunities and evaluating them as they come. There's a whole set of things that I do, you know, when I do my big keynotes, when I do my big bits of advice of, even beyond having that kind of network of folks is how are you doing your own experimenting? How are you iterating on what your career looks like, on the way that you do things, on the knowledge that you're gaining, and how are you looking for other spaces for you to experiment in? And I think it's really important to say, do you know what? Yeah, I'm not valued in this place. What's the next place I'm gonna try? That doesn't look like what success might have been, but actually ticks these boxes, and these are the ones that I want to explore at this point. And let's see how it goes. And I think we shouldn't be afraid to jump jobs. Like, yeah, I'm not saying, you know be out of employment if you don't have the means to do that I didn't have the means so I always have more than one job at any given point (laughs) almost was like hedging but I think it is important as well to say okay cool like experiment try something different you thought you were going to be an artist try tech like who knows what happens maybe there's elements of the art you can bring to that tech room that they didn't already have that then become a competitive advantage so I think always be aware of the value that you bring and be able to know that independently of the current situation and scenario that you're in. So there are things that you do well that you'll get feedback for, keep a note of that. So then you can look back and be like, yeah, I do know that. And I did know that, and I did do this, and I did achieve that. And here's how that was different from five years ago. And there's definitely been progress. So I know that there's extra value I'm bringing and here's how I can articulate what the value is that I bring to any space. And I think that's a really important thing to be able to do independently of just you and your manager or just you and your current colleagues.
1: And to, to go back to the experimenting bit, which I agree with that entirely. And like you, I've always like done more than one thing at any given moment. And experimenting is, for me at least, the way forward. But it takes a lot of courage to like take leaps, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially when you're starting to take leaps and know your value. And I'm like, well, maybe all of this just comes with time and age and experience. But was there a moment where you were like, okay, I think I need to do something very different. Yeah. or? Was there like a catalyst for you to start trying to experiment and seeing like what different could look like for you, your work, your place in the industry?
0: No, there was no catalyst. I think it's it's been the way that I've lived my life. Like you live, you live life in cycles anyway, right? So when I was 15, I, there was what I knew I wanted to do. When I was 18, that was what I thought I knew I wanted to do when I was 21. Even now, I'm like, yeah, I think I know this is what I want to do. And in another three years, I'm sure it'll be different. And I think it's just, it's, it's a part of that curiosity, right? It's a part of that exploration. And it becomes less about the device that you're trying to pull apart and it becomes a little bit more about yourself and your own journey and what you're heading into. And I think it's something that I've always had. I've always I've always been conscious of there are options. I've always been very conscious of that. So my thing has always been, OK, what are the options now? And what what am I going to try? What am I going to explore? What am I going to give a go? And what did, what did I learn from the last time that I had options to choose from? And I, and I don't know that that's uniquely me. Everyone has it all the time. People are made redundant, right? You go through a pandemic, you know, there's all, we always have options. And I think maybe what I've always had is that is a sense of perspective of, I know this is what the system says I should do. I, I know is at 16, but I have the option to do that beforehand. So let's see what happens when I do that, right? And, and I never do it knowing it's going to work because that's not, that's not an experiment. If you know what happens next, it's not an experiment. I didn't do the GCSE knowing I was going to pass. I was surprised if there's anyone else. What I'm 10. And that was what I wrote. And I got this. Huh? Okay. Right. And I think it's that thing of, yeah, you live and you learn. You literally live and you learn. And so what have you learned from the last time that you lived? Okay, cool. So now live a little bit more. And what are you learning from the last time that you live? And so being in that cycle is something that then I've been able to do, not just in work, right? You do it in recipes that you eat, you do it in workout cycles that you're going through. You do it in I don't know, the way that you, you know, appeal into church or into spirituality or whatever it might be, like in your driving test. Like everything you have to say, okay, cool. I didn't, I didn't, I did not pass my driving test the first time around, right? What was the major? What was the minor? (laughs) Next time we learn, (laughs) when they say roundabout, here's what you're going to do so you don't stall on it and and then fail your driving test. And I think that's what we have to do across lots of things. And yes, with checks and balances, yes, you think about risks, right? You don't, You don't experiment with your jobs to the point that you end up not doing anything at all through direct actions of your own. But if you're constantly and if you're cyclically thinking about your options, let's say you are made redundant. You're like, okay, cool. Well, you know, I didn't want to be here now, but these were the three things. And this is the one I'm going to try. In fact, I'm going to try all three. Whichever one lands first is the one that I'm going to do or whichever one lands in this way or by this date is the one I'm going to do. And so I think that's it. It's keeping your options open um and exploring you know what's the problem you want to solve where are you going next and what have you just learned
1: it sounds also a little bit like like keeping your eyes open to where your curiosity exists beyond just the way it's manifesting in your life at the moment whether that's at work whether that is any other place you're exploring because if it it gets to the point where you have to make a decision and then you're exploring options it's like oh man there's a lot there's a lot here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very overwhelming. How do I how do I decide and how do I choose? Yeah, I mean,
0: but then it's it's a good option it's a good problem to have, right? That's yeah. almost a better problem to have.
1: And the other part I'd of that is experimenting is like yeah. you said, it can't be guaranteed because then it's not an experiment, which also means you have to get really comfortable with failure. Um and for you as a person in STEM, like scientists experiment all the time, for people who whose life maybe has less experimenting built into it. Like, how did you get comfortable with the idea of failure?
0: So I'm a technologist. So like you say, it's kind of part and parcel of how we do things, right? You write a load of, line, line of code. You write a load of code. and You would never, ever expect it to work first time around. In fact, you're suspicious when it works the first time around, right? Because you're like, hmm, <laughs> maybe it doesn't do what I need it to do because there's no error that's been thrown up right now. And I think things like that do help. I think it's also, again, it's a perspective. Like, nothing in life is perfect. Nothing works always correctly the first time. I mean, you know, this is why we have to switch it off and switch it back on again almost as like a meme of life, right? Because we all just know that technology every now and then stops working, but you will have failures. I think it's about looking and seeing and understanding that those are things to learn from, but everyone has failures. There are things that fail all the time. There are things that go wrong all the time. And yeah, you have to be comfortable because otherwise you end up um, harming yourself and you end up bubbling over because it's like, no, it was supposed to be like this and it wasn't. And it's like, no, 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 Like There's always gonna be things that go wrong. The work is in how do you react to that and how do you um work around it and how do you build for it not how do you completely evolve ev- evade the failure i think the other thing is failure is a huge part of success it's a huge part of success failure is, is is instrumental it's 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 essential for success and you have to have the failures to learn from to then be successful so you know that's a pitfall that you're not going to do or that's a thing you're not going to or that's a time you're not going to do or that's a place you're not going to do it again And I think that's really important like everybody has failures in life you're kidding yourself actually really if you haven't had any failures or had any mistakes that have happened. So it's again it's how do you look at those as part of your journey, rather than bits that need to be obscured.
1: I have a feeling I know, I know what your response is, but I want to ask you anyways, could you say more about how failure is a part of success and why you think it's an integral part of success.
0: So failure is a part of success because failure is about, is part of that experimenting. And and I think you, when you experiment, you have an up and you have a down, right? There, there are times when it, the experiment will go correctly. There are times when it went down. And if you didn't leave it open, then you wouldn't, you know, if you didn't have it open to, you know, go either way and it's shades, right. Rather than, you know, you're either successful or you're failure. Sometimes it's in it's, it's often it's a spectrum, right? But it's like you almost need to be in it to win it, I think, on a lot of these things. And so if you nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? There's all these idioms that we can throw at that are basically the same thing of if you didn't try, then not only would you not fail, but you wouldn't succeed because you haven't ventured into it. And so it is a big part of it. It's like a yin and a yang, really of doing, of making the progress of having things happen. You know, this Alexa Young Innovator Challenge, we've got folks trying to build and trying to solve problems for social impact using building using a skill that they've built on Alexa. And it's like, okay, cool. Like you have to give it a go. You have to know what the problem is. You have to say, okay, cool. Here's where there is failure already. What I'm doing, is it gonna pull it more towards failure or is it gonna have some sort of success on that problem? And I think that that's that's where we have to kind of start from failure is if there were no problems, then you wouldn't be able to succeed anyway, because what would you be operating on? What would you be doing? Right. And so it's like, how do you know you succeeded if there wasn't a failure already? So it's a really we can't run away or be afraid of it. This is the reality of life, right? Is things don't always go the way that you hope that they will, that you think that they should.
1: It, yeah, and the paths are not always going to be linear and it would be so incredibly boring if we were it all works. like walking down the same path and doing <laughs> the, exact, the exact same yeah. thing, right? Um, but i thinking also about like, it, it's, it's easy to, I think I've been in those situations, I don't know if you have, where you start to feel the weight of like, well, if I fail and I'm the only one in the room, then the door will be closed for everyone else like me or for the idea that I've brought forward. Or, you know, I had to really fight to get here. And if if this doesn't work, like this is the one chance, this this problem I'm trying to solve, or me, or like it's easy to feel that pressure, right? Of like, there's one chance. And if I'm the only one, or this is the one time like someone has allowed someone to do X or Y or Z that I'm doing, whether it's a problem I'm addressing or a project you're launching, um, to feel that sense of like, I want to open the door for everyone else behind me for more opportunities. And how do you balance both the inevitability of like everything isn't going to work because that's just life. And also the, the desire to like keep going and keep building and keep making and keep having op- options and opportunities for, for us and people like us then.
0: I think it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Like, if you don't, if you're not trying to do that, then you're never going to succeed, right? And so it's like, I'm doing this now, not knowing that it will definitely work, but I'm doing it knowing that if it does work, I'll open up those opportunities. And if it doesn't work, then I'm a step closer, because failure is part of that success, to opening up those opportunities. So it's not the, I don't see those two things as a binary or as opposites. I see them as the same, It's the same thing from reality. Like, I've been doing this for 10 years, right? Everything doesn't work. I I know that. And so I, I have, we have to run the event we have to run the opportunity. We have to have the conversation, so that then we can even be in a in a in the privileged position of failing on delivering those opportunities, right? And I, th- I think this is it. You've got to be in it to win it. Otherwise, there's no, you know. I, I also think that idea of oh, if I fail, then you know, the, then it, it all collapses in on itself. No. And anyone that thinks, anyone that says, oh, we had a woman once, and you know she did that, and so we're not gonna have a woman again, again, that's a, that's a them problem, not a you problem um really like you really have to just know that's not a you problem you are not all woman you are not the woman you are a woman and more right and so there's nothing that it's like oh yeah this this woman is going to be the litmus test for all of the women because that's complete nonsense um you know several (laughs) women they're not all the same (laughs) you know I I have a lot of women in my family and there are some that I ask to do things and there are others I won't and they're all women, right? It's not like, oh, well, my mum did that. So I'm never asking my sister. It's like, that doesn't even make any sense. So I think we have to, again, like have that perspective of you will fail at things. You will fail at things. Like that's the thing. People fail at things. I mean, think about it on the other side. I, it, maybe they do and they just don't tell us about it. But, you know, the number of boards I get to see or people I get to meet who, you know, are in this space. And they, there's never, a, can you imagine if we are like, yeah, we've got a man as a prime minister. And he didn't do all these things. We're never gonna have a man as a prime minister again. Like that. How does that? That's not a. That's not real. So I think we we shouldn't hold ourselves to standards that we wouldn't hold others to. Or we shouldn't hold ourselves to standards that literally no one is held by. Like don't for what? Like, who gains? Who gains from you having that thought? Who gains from that? Like answer that question for yourself. Who's gaining from you thinking like that? Because it's it's not you, and it's also not them. So like, who's the winner here?
1: I really love the way you've flipped like the the narrative that sometimes is like the the cultural pervasive narrative and just made it sound so sensible right like right of course you're gonna fail so what like you still have to do it and it's not a referendum on like none of us are all all whatever identity yeah <laughs> we're
0: not yeah we're not we're not this. we're very different so it's not if you fail you fail and that was you failing and you learn from that and you go on next but it's not the you know it shouldn't be and let's say I'll be honest if you fail and I never have another woman again again that's them that's literally not you that's got nothing to do with you it's got a lot to do with them
1: I think there's also something in there that I'm hearing so much from you which I love about how there are more rooms right like if this is not a place where you are celebrated you will be able to find one where you are and you will be able to find your people and it doesn't even like what you were talking about with your own experience as well if not necessarily needing to see the the role models to find the space. But I imagine you still had a community of people who you turned to who might not have been women in tech, right? Like you had your friends, your family, who were who were the people who supported you and the people who saw you for the the human who you are, even if they weren't the people who, and the people I imagine who were celebrating you, even if they weren't the people in the classroom with you.
0: 100%. I was
1: celebrated by the women. I would celebrate those women. I'd
0: celebrate our, other, our male colleagues. I'd celebrate everybody. Well, not everybody, but I celebrate. I'd celebrate my my crew at work. It was the same thing, and at work, it was, you know it gets more complicated, right? Because you have managers, you have other stakeholders. Some of them would celebrate me, others wouldn't. Some would just tolerate me. I had my manager would celebrate me. My manager's manager would celebrate me. My manager's manager's manager did the opposite of celebrating me, and then their manager celebrate. And you know, and so it's one of those things where you know you have you'll have folks around. You'll have a lot of folks. Sometimes you'll have the majority of folks are not celebrating you. And so again, you have the option to say, okay, cool. Is this enough of a space that I can stay here? And, you know, there have been organizations or companies or, you know, roles that I've had where it's like, you know what, this balance doesn't work for the amount of value I know I can bring to this space. I'm going to say that as I'm leaving, (laughs) you know, as I've spent the time to look for another space that I should be in and I know my value, I know my skills, I know what I've brought. And that's something I'm going to talk about to the next place. And I'll work out where I need to be. And I think it is having that balance. It's having that perspective Um, and it's having that sense of self and and not allowing bad environments to, to do that. And that's a hard thing to do. Like, I'm not saying that any of these things are easy, but I think there is definitely a mindset. And there's also, like you said, practice makes progress on if you've done that enough times then you're like, yeah, I'm leaving, I'm leaving and I'm going there because I know that this is where my value can be seen. And this is where, this is what's going to work for me right now. And in, in, you know, the phase of life or the, the part of my career that I'm going into or with the options that I know that I'm exploring or the experiments that I know that I need to do.
1: What are you experimenting with right now? Or what is the problem that you're like digging into or trying to, st- not that it has to be one problem because I imagine <laughs> there are lots of problems but and lots of experiments. But like, what did, what, what's got you excited at the prospect of both failure and success and like learning more right now? So a lot, there's quite a
0: lot actually. So I, in 10 years of STEMETS, there's a lot that we've seen there's a lot that we've learned from the work that we do and there's a lot that we've ignored almost one of the big things that we've ignored has been advocacy and has been going for systemic change in addition to the work that we do kind of grassroots so that's our big experiments i mean they're literally advocacy experiments that i'm running with the team at the moment where you know the, the first one is can we change the curriculum to ensure that we've got more history in the curriculum that's the experiment we're literally working on at the moment gathering roundtables, trying to talk to different people, trying to get advice from folks, looking at the folks that are celebrating us and being like, okay, cool, could you celebrate us a little bit more in this kind of way? You know, we're trying new things. We've got a stunt on Waterloo Bridge on the 13th of February, 2023, for folks to come and march with us across the Ladies' Bridge, which is another piece of history. Nobody, Nobody really knows. Waterloo Bridge was built by women. Like nobody nobody knows this. We all kind of just go over it and see it every day and you don't realize it's the Ladies Bridge and Women Built Waterloo Bridge. And so it's things like this where it's like, okay, cool. So that's our that's the experiment. That's probably the experiment that's exciting me the most at Stemets at the moment. There are lots of other ones around the size of a growing team, around regional expansion. There are experiments on the lots of the boards that I'm on that we're trying to again edit systems and do things systemically. So, yeah, I mean, there's always, there's lots of experiments, right? (laughs) There's lots of them that you're trying to run a placebo experiment. You're trying to run an iteration of the experiment. You're trying to spend time to analyze what happened, you know, in the lab on, on that particular one, when we invited those people who turned up, who didn't turn up, what did they like? What did they not like? What did we take away? What did we learn? What did we not learn? You know, all of that, there's life is an experiment really, but the advocacy experiments, the 18 month advocacy experiments at the moment are the ones that I'm super excited to see actually, because Yeah. Changing a national curriculum, you know, and we're talking about this amongst teacher strikes and all kinds of systemic things that are going on. Changing a national curriculum to include the stories of women I, I would be a pretty cool thing to be able to do, but I'm not assuming that it's something we will be able to do.
1: However, if we did, you know? <laughs> it's, it's the what if, right? Like, what if we could? And that's, I mean, that, that would be so exciting and so necessary. Let's um, see. Yeah. Which leads me into my last very cheesy question that we ask everyone where the series is called Little Revolutions because um, you were talking about so much of like what is broken is also systemic in the world, right? So for anyone, whether they're looking to get into tech or elsewhere and they feel like there isn't space for them or they love someone who's trying to or they want to support someone who's trying to enter a space and they don't feel like there's space for them because they don't see models like them they don't see opportunities, they don't, they don't see the history, or they don't see the black and brown people who came before them. Like for anyone who's in that situation, what little revolutions, what daily, because like, there's the stuff that you're doing, which is, you know, campaigning to change a curriculum. And there's the stuff that happens in daily life. So what can people do? What little revolutions can they enact?
0: Well, as cheesy as this is, I mean, this is what my book is literally all about. I, I don't know if you can just about make it out on the camera, but I've got a getting started section at the end of every single chapter. <laughs> and there's 13 chapters. So there's a lot of work. There's a lot of stuff for folks to try out. And whether it's something as simple as uh, you know, trying a new search engine, because when you search with one search engine, you see one set of results. But actually, if you do the same search on I don't know DuckDuckGo or Ecosia I mean you'd you'd plant a tree when you search on Ecosia which you don't have on mainstream search engines that could show you something completely different to what you're looking at at the moment Um, or whether it's just playing with the settings you have on your microwave and seeing what overlap that has with the settings you have in your phone because then that might have some impact or some influence or some insight on the settings that you might be able to set at work to ensure that what you're doing runs smoother or that might show you actually the future of what's happening in your work whether it's searching for the future of your hobby and wondering whether you know if you look at the future of food are there any insights there that might be useful for I don't know other hobbies maybe the future of dance like there's there's quite a lot of different things that folks can do but there are definitely groups I would I would say don't underestimate and I have this across the book even the people that wrote the quotes like there are so many groups for so many different types of people in so many different locales and it's not just about protected characteristics but also interests that actually find that group, like tap into it, give them a go, like it was like experiment with group. That's one of the ones that I've said here, experiment with groups. There'll be lots of different ones that you probably are eligible to join with. Not all of them will be your fit. So go experiment, go, you know, spend some time having adult juice or not right with some of the groups and see how it all goes. But yeah, I'd say, I'd say that, I mean, cheesy a cheesier plug as it is, this is literally why I wrote, why I wrote the book. We've got the history. We've got the reason why things are now. And Also, this idea that you don't have to be in tech. You shouldn't have to be in tech to have this influence and to see how this relates to you, right? We have lots of people who have opinions on immigration who are not immigration lawyers or immigrants, right? And that's still how elections, like that's how we operate as a society. How brilliant would it be if we had that for tech where when there's a lockdown and they decide to allocate grades using an algorithm, we can all ask the question, I see, What are we putting into this algorithm to make these decisions? Because I know it's not statistics, it's not statistical analysis of who sat in that seat the year before that you're using to allocate grades this year. That can't be it, that can't can't be what you said, right? Which is exactly what they did and it all kind of blew up. And I think that's it, like we all need to, to have that agency, have some sort of technical agency and understanding. Again, I always end up saying, you know, if you go to Italy and you don't understand Italian, you're gonna end up eating the gelato flavor that person has chosen in the place that that person has chosen because you weren't able to read the signs you didn't know where you were going and you also can't ask for the gelato yourself and I think it's really important you know to build that literacy so that you're not at the mercy of someone else's pizza choices
1: It just makes me thank you for this this makes me want to just go out and be curious about the world and I'm sure (laughs) everyone who's listening and watching is going to feel the same way is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't
0: that's it no all good I think I think all good all good thank you
1: Thank you for listening, and thank you to Dr. Anne-Marie for joining us. Check out the show notes to find out more about Anne-Marie, her work, and where you can follow her. This episode was brought to you by Frida. Our producers are Claire Richardson and Abisoye Edelusi, and I'm your host, Masuma Ahuja. Please don't forget to follow Little Revolutions wherever you listen to podcasts, and to leave us a review. It really helps.